And we're in First Peter. We're in a series in First Peter. So uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll just jump in. So, Father, uh, we do just commit this morning to you that when you strip it all down, it's not lights and it's not computers and it's not instruments. It's desires of our hearts to give you glory. And it's the hunger in our heart to somehow connect with you. We, we are alone without you and we desire to know you more. And those desires just deep within us really are what it's all about. And we do want to uh, recognize that and commit this morning to you and just proclaim that we desire to bring you glory, to worship you, that you are worthy of worship. And just be with us now. Tell us what you would have us learn and what you would have us hear. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So I, I tell people a lot of things, and, and they don't always believe all of them. Um, but one of the things I tell people usually when I'm meeting with them for coffee one-on-one is, is I come out really strong and I say, hey, look, most of the problems you have in life um, can be traced to one thing. You're not really connected with a local church. You're not really connected with a local church. And so I'll, I'll kind of at broad strokes say, hey, you know, a church is people to live with, a purpose to live out, um, a, a place to be encouraged, a place to be stimulated and grow, uh, the community that we're all looking for, just a bunch of different things. But then I'll start breaking it down more specifically. You, you really want to get married. Well, how are you going to get married? You've got to meet people. Where are you going to meet the kinds of people that you, you ought to be courting and marrying? Well, with your church and and you you have these desires to do something meaningful and to have influence and and well where are you going to get that opportunity to do that and you know you over here your deepest desire is for your kids and well you know so what that they think church is boring everything might you know it's really funny um a couple weeks ago i was driving to church with Tamara and the girls i usually come before them and i was driving to church with them and all of my girls started saying we don't want to go to church it's boring and I'm just like, I, mean, I didn't know what to say. I'm like, oh my goodness, like this can't be happening. My, 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 my kids think the church is boring. And it was kind of this interesting exercise. I worked through it and I was like, you know what, I don't care. My children are going to grow up and they're going to learn that, that that's just what we do. That dad's the, the first one out of bed. Dad says, we're all going to do this. This is where I'm leading my family. And there's going to be consistency, not because it's ridiculously fun or exciting, but because it's valuable. And it's because it's our family. It's because where we're supposed to be. And if, if I um, was only going to go to family things, if it was like ridiculously exciting, I would never end up at Thanksgiving or like Christmas Eve or a bunch of things with, with different parts of my family. Um, <laughs> you do it because it's, it's the right thing to do. And while you're there, every once in a while, there's this breakthrough moment where the memories are made and where it really is deep. And, and if you look back at going to church, this exercise, going to church, it was sometimes out of the blue when you least expected it, that God really spoke to you. You didn't even know it, but that message that week was what you needed to hear. And I want my daughters, when they're like over the age of 18 and on their own, I want them sitting in church every single Sunday because I'm going to be praying like mad that when I no longer have influence into their life, that they're going to be there that one Sunday when God's actually going to get their attention. And if I train my kids early on that if it's not fun, you don't have to do it, 
they're never going to be sitting there when, when God could have used the body of Christ or a sermon, the preaching and teaching of the word to actually speak into their life, right? Um, it's a big deal. So we value I have no idea what I'm talking about now. I, um, church is important, okay? Um, <laughs> so I go tell people, I'm like, you know, church is important. And you know, a lot of your problems in life are just because you're not plugged into a local church. And, you know, I, I usually get the same response at first until I really try to press the case and make the argument. And then I think most people begin to realize, you know what, you're right. And I, they don't go with me at first, and this is why. Because at first, when I say to people, you really need to be plugged into a local church, their reaction is, Ken is saying that because it's self-serving to him. Ken is saying that because um, he wants me to come to church and to do his work. And, and I don't say, when I say get plugged into a local church, I'm not just saying go on Sunday morning. I'm saying serve. And so I have a slide here, and this is kind of the theme of this morning. But what I'm telling people is this. Everyone should have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. Everyone should have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. And if you don't have those things, you're really derailed and you're kind of grasping and looking for what's going on. So I tell people this. You need to commit to a local church, which means that you have a ministry in the church. And they're like, what people hear is, Ken's telling me to work. And, and that's self-serving to Ken. So I'm going to put my defenses up. Why is that self-serving to Ken? Because Ken is a pastor, the, one of the creepiest of words. You know, I, I have a friend who, who's, who's in a church and their elders were making distinctions and they're saying, okay, they're really wrestling with this. And it's a pretty conservative church and they're saying, we're, we're not, you know, with the whole men-women thing. And they're saying, where does the lines go and all that? And one of the things they decided was we can call women pastors, you know, but we're not going to necessarily do this thing or this thing. But they're just you know, struggling through that. And one of the, one of the guys on staff was, just thought it was the funniest thing. He says, you know, all the guys on staff that are called pastors are trying to figure out how not to be called a pastor. And then here, like, you know, we're giving it to the woman, the women that are like, you know, and he says it's just a really weird thing. You know, it's like a hot potato word. Um, I used to be, talk to people on airplanes, and they'd say, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a philosopher. Yeah. <laughs> this is like in my 20s, I had a philosophy degree. So I was like, I'll just say I'm a philosopher. Well, well, so what do you do? Ah, I work at a church. And then they're really perplexed, and then I'm, I'm really up a creek because, you know, there's really nowhere to go from there. But I, I would, like, try and avoid it. And so, but I'm a pastor. And in people's minds, what am I here for? I'm here to serve the church. Translated, I'm here to do the work end of the church. I'm here to give and everybody else is here to receive. And so, Ken, by you saying that really the root problem in my life is that I'm supposed to have a ministry in the church, you're trying to abdicate your responsibility and foist it onto me. It's like when my parents said to my sister, go take out the trash, and then she comes to me and says, Ken, you go take out the trash. No way. They told you to take out the trash. You're the pastor. You do the work. And it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what church is about. So real quickly, turn to Ephesians, if you can. Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll just start in verse 10. Listen to what it says. It says, He, Jesus, who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. He's the one that's got the authority. And, it, and so on his authority, this is what he set up. Okay? He says this. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To pre- and, and why did he give some to be pastors uh, and teachers? To prepare God's people, the church, for works of service so that the body of Christ, the church, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What are pastors here for? Pastors are here to train, to teach, to empower, to encourage, to equip, to release you all, the church, to do the work of building up the church, the body of Christ, until it really comes together in his whole. So when I tell people, look, you need to have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world, that was what you were created for. They put up the defenses and they say, you're asking me to do what you're supposed to do. It shows a fundamental misunderstanding in the nature and and the purpose of us as Christians in this thing called the church, this Christian community. When we go to 1 Peter now in our passage, we see Peter hitting it a different way. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 4. Peter says this, As you come to Him, Jesus Christ, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house For what purpose? To be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're being built together into a house that has a purpose of bringing glory to God. You have a ministry in the church to build this up so that you can have a mission in the world which is to bring glory to God who made you, saved you, and is now trying to send you. You are a part of this broken Jenga thing that was whole when I set it up this morning. And, and you're being built up into this house. And, and we don't like that. We, we have a different paradigm. And you know what our paradigm is? Defend at all costs. Avoid. Hide. So it's, it's oh, I can get away without doing that thing. Look at that. It's not really going to hurt anybody. Let me get out of this thing. I, somehow I got to free myself up from being trapped and doing the work for those pastors. They get paid. Why aren't they doing it? Well, let me, what else can I get rid of here and still get by? And, and that one there looks good. Let's take that out and, and I'll buy back some time and energy and resources there. Look, and, and church kind of still looks like it's going on. And so what else can I do? It's like when we send the email and you put like, five or ten people on it. Have you ever noticed you never get any results? Hey, I need somebody to do this. And you send it to ten people. And what do we do when we receive that email? We're like, hey, there's nine other people that can do that. (laughs) I mean, I've learned to like send the email to one person, 
copy the text and then just open, send, open, send, open, send, you know, because unless you send it right at somebody, um, it's like, oh, somebody else will support it. Let me get out of here before I'm the one that it's all hinging on. Oh, I got away. I evaded. I avoided. I defended at all costs. It's like school. We treat church like school. The least I can do, the better. And so we pick this thing apart and we think it's about me getting away with having to do the least amount. We don't understand why we were put here. We were put here to build up the body of Christ, which is the church, so that when this whole thing comes together, it's what? It's Jenga. But I wa- what is this right here? It's wood. It's nothing. It's a piece. If I put them all together, what is that? It's something, it has a name, it communicates, it's symbolic. And we're being built up that when, when we come together, we are going to bring glory to God. And we're going to see that expounded more as we go through here. Let's, let's go back to that First Peter passage. I want to pick on one word here. It says we're, we're precious stones, we're building blocks, we're, we're these pieces and we're being built up. And it says we're being built up into a spiritual house. We're being built up into a spiritual house. What do you think of when I say the word house? I mean, there's a lot of different things you could think of. Um, Two-story house, one-story, I don't know. I mean, things like that. If If we went long enough, somebody would say, I remember when I was growing up and I'd get into a fight with my dad, and my dad would always say, you know, you should be grateful that you have a roof over your head, right? You ever hear that? I'm like already using it on my kids. You know, that's like the the best, like, look at what I'm providing for your benefit. You know, we're pretty egocentric, I think. It's just a part of living in our own skin. We see the, the world revolve around us and when we think of house, we think house is there to serve us. It's a roof over our head. It's provision for us. It's there for my benefit. We don't come to it and say, I'm a piece of creating a house. The house isn't there to bring glory to me or to provide for me. I'm there to contribute to it. And its purpose is to bring glory to God. Now, how come we don't understand that? Well, Peter's audience, um, in a little while here, he uses a phrase in verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And he snaps it right out of Exodus chapter 19. And God says, I want to take you guys. I'm going to make you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart to me. If you obey my commands, does that sound fair? And they say yes. And then the very next chapter, Exodus 20, he gives them the Ten Commandments. He's saying, I want to use you and set you apart to bring glory to my name. You're going to be a blessing to the nations, and they're going to see you, and they're going to go, wow, who's God? What God is that that they serve? Tell me about the God of those people. That's unbelievable. Look at that nation, favored and chosen. And, and God is going to use this little group to bless the nations to bring himself glory. And he says, are you okay with that? You've got to obey my commands. You're going to be royal priesthood. You're going to serve me. And if so, I'll pull you together. 
And then I'm going to put a tabernacle in the middle, a house. And that's going to be the house where I dwell. My spirit, my Holy Spirit is going to dwell in the center of my people in the tabernacle, which became the temple. You get it? So now in the New Testament, Jesus comes, Jesus dies, and God can now mix with his people because white paint can mix with white paint. White paint can't mix with gray paint. What happens when you mix white with gray? It's no longer white. It's no longer pure. So God had to guard himself until Jesus dies for our sins and cleanses us. So on Jesus' behalf, we're white paint. We can mix with God. So God says, I can now put my Holy Spirit in you. And he goes beyond that and says, now when two or three are gathered together, I'm there too. I'm, I'm in that community of people coming together in my name. And so Peter says, you, this set-apart group, this holy nation, this group of priests that are serving God, you're being pulled together as this house. And God's going to dwell there. God's going to be in your midst. Fast forward in Peter real quick, and let's just grab this last little verse. Hold on a second. If I can find it. I can't find it. Well, let's look at some other passages. I think it's in one of the other ones. All right, so in Hebrews, um, turn to Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. In verse 5, it talks about Moses was a faithful servant in God's house to those people, testifying what would be said in the future. Now, verse 6, it says, But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold, if we hold on to the courage and the hope of which we boast. We're a part of this house. Turn to Timothy. Timothy uh, chapter 3 as well. 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. Listen to what Paul writes. If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. That was what I was looking for. God's household, which is the, the church, and this thing becomes the pillar and foundation of the truth. What does that mean? Have you ever read that sometimes? You're like, ooh, that's really spiritual. And then you start thinking, you're like, what does it mean? The truth about God is going to be manifested by the church of Jesus Christ loving each other, building itself up in unity, and proclaiming to a world that doesn't know God, wow, whose God is that? What God do they serve that allows for this kind of a thing? It's praiseworthy. Jesus says, you, they will know that you are my disciples by your what? Your love for one another. The unity, like if you don't have unity, what does it look like? It's a mess. And so what does Jesus do in John chapter 17 before he leaves? He spends all this time praying to God, God, my ministry's coming to an end here. 
and, I, and I'm about to, to, to have to go die for these people. Don't let it be in vain. Guard the unity of the believers. Like you and I are one God and it's praiseworthy. Guard the unity of these people. Put them together somehow so that they're all working as one and they proclaim to a world that doesn't know you what it looks like when people know you. That it would be the foundation of the truth about who you are. So we need to have a ministry in the church. We build the church up because we have a mission in the world to proclaim the glory of God so that people would see and know the goodness of our God. That's what worship is. Worship isn't just singing. It's doing things in such a way that we attribute worth to God. Now, we have people in this church that get this, and they don't know that I'm going to name them. (laughs) We have the Hayworths. The Hayworths do on-track ministries. They've got a mission in the world, and they work hard at it. And it burns them out and they deal with mess week after week trying to minister to these kids. And it would be easy for them to come to church on Sunday and say, I'm just going to take. Yet they greet and they do check-in for children's ministries and they look to hear other things that are going on. They have a ministry in the church as well as a mission in the world. They get it. And the Tafts, um, I love Mary Taft, always trying to use uh, her flowers and her creativity to go out and bless people. And they take care of kids in the neighborhood from other people that live around them so that they can be a blessing to them and show them what Christ's love looks like. They have a mission in the world, and yet they give so much time as a ministry in this church. Lindsay helping with the college. Mary helping with almost every food-related thing that we do. These musicians... Uh, that we have on stage, some of them are professional musicians, which blows my mind. And they have this gift that God gave them. They want to go out in the world and use it to the glory of God, to, to show people about God. And yet they come here on Sunday morning and they don't get paid. And they do it as a ministry to the church because they're trying to say, what do I have that I can give to build up the body of Christ, to edify the body of Christ? And so we should all have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. And when we don't, which is the culture of America right now, when we try and push away and steal away and avoid, what we're really upholding is consumer Christianity. Consumer Christianity. It's the football team. Can you imagine a football team where a player gets there and he says to the coach, ah, I don't want to run wind sprints. You know, I don't want to play on special teams. No, I don't want to be the running back either. Nope, water boy, no. You know, I'm just going to go sit here on the bench and watch. That sounds good to me. I'm going to just take it in. Is that all right, coach? Cool. I don't really need to tuck in my shirt either. I'm not playing. Um, uh, If you need anything, talk to somebody else. I'm going to just take it in on the bench. Can you imagine what a coach would say to that person? What? You're not a part of this team anymore. Clear out your locker. We don't want you. You're not willing to do anything to contribute to the team. You're only trying to take. And so leave. Go sit in the stands. And I've heard a joke, uh, and I think it's it's pretty right on in some ways, but the joke is that the church in America right now resembles a big football game where you have 22 people on the field desperately in need of rest, 
and 100,000 people in the stands desperately in need of exercise. <laughs> and, and I go through the week, and you know what? I see people who have no more bandwidth left. They have no more bandwidth. They, they can't take one more thing. And they're pressed. I mean, they're hard-pressed to keep up a good attitude. And then, and then I run into people that have plenty of bandwidth, plenty of ability. And it's consumer Christianity. And so I came up with a new name this week I kind of liked. Termite Christianity. Because as we're supposed to be building this thing up, what does a termite do? A termite feeds on it. Right? So as we're supposed to be contributing, the termite takes away and feeds and thinks only of himself. And that to me is the picture of consumer Christianity is that it's really termite Christianity. And it really sets up this paradox that I think we need to grapple with, that there really is only two options. There's no middle ground. Either we're involved and we're ministering in the church, or we're consuming it. If you're in a canoe and you're not rowing, you're slowing it down. If you're a cell in the body and the body is the analogy for the church in a lot of Paul's writings. If you're a cell in the body and you're doing your own thing, we have a word for it. It's called cancer. And it's destructive. And so consumer Christianity is this weird thing. And I, we went down to California and, and visited with a pastor down there by the name of Francis Chan. And it was like 15 hours in the car, four hours with him, and then 15 hours back. It was the craziest thing I've ever done. And so like the only highlight of the trip was in and out right? And Lindsay Taft and Darcy Bridges had never had In-N-Out. And um, so we went to In-N-Out on the way down and it was, just, it was this glorious moment. I got a picture on my cell phone, you know. Um, but here's the interesting thing. I, I got, it's like I've, I'm, I'm being very vulnerable here. Um, so please forget it right after I say it. But on the way back, we had another chance at 1030 in the morning on the, on the day back to get In-N-Out again. And I opted for Panda Express. And I, I feel dirty. <laughs> I, I feel less than masculine. Um, and so Lindsay Taft went through the drive-thru and in and out because it was his first chance. So he was going to get in and out for the second time. And, and I'd already eaten my Panda Express and I was watching him eat the in and out. And I really deep down was struggling with my own identity and self-worth and I was just like I should have I really should have done that I should have that would have been the right thing to do Um, but I didn't why didn't I it's real simple why I didn't I had like three burgers in two days and I was burgered out so I exercised my right as a consumer to choose what I was going to feed on now here's the root of why we have such an epidemic in America of church swapping. Because if you're feeding on, a, on church, if it's termite Christianity, pretty soon, even if it's good food, you're going to go, you know what, I'm tired of pine. I want oak. <laughs> I'm tired of uh, that worship leader guy. Complains about being sick. Man up, you know. Um, I'm just kidding. Just another. Uh, 
I want balsa wood. Some more fluff would be nice. If we're if we're approaching it that way, sooner or later, we're just going. You know, I just need to just need a change of scenery. I'm going to swap churches. If we were really doing what we're supposed to do, we couldn't really leave. We're a part of something. We're knit into something. We're the, the church is dependent on us. The value of us being there isn't just the feeding that we get. It's, it's knowing that we're an integral part of something that's glorious and wonderful and it's God's plan. And, and the word fellowship, the, I mean, you might have heard this, the Greek word really means like co-laboring. Like it's, it's the bond that comes when you're working alongside somebody. And so when we're involved in ministry, that's really what sets up fellowship. We kind of get it wrong. The potluck thing took us the wrong way. You don't build relationships in a church by, hey, when's the next potluck? I mean, it's cool and all, but you get the relationships. You, you build the community when you serve because you're serving alongside people. It's koinonia. It's fellowship. At Biola, when I was a college pastor, I used to have Biola students come and complain to me. And they would be like, oh, I don't have the time to serve in a church. I don't have the energy to serve in a church. And I used to just laugh at that. I'm like, how much energy does it take to hand out a bulletin? Or to be there like 10 minutes earlier so you can greet people. Or I don't care how bad your life is and, and how depleted you are. It's okay. We all go through seasons, right? And so you're in a down season. That's fine. How hard is it to just look at someone next to you and smile? Say, hey, how are you doing this morning? And we don't. We go into church, and it's like a movie theater. I'm going to make sure there's at least one seat between me and the person next to me, you know? Like, the spacing's got to be just right. And then I'm going to only look forward because it's that awkward thing. If I make eye contact, do I follow up eye contact with, with saying something? I don't want that awkward moment. You know, it's like, what do I do? Or, or do they feel pressure or guilty like they need to say something to me? I'm just going to avoid the eye contact and avoid the awkwardness altogether. Here I am. I'm, I'm good. What's in the bulletin? Um, is there any misspellings? Maybe I can find something wrong, you know. Um, we, we kind of just get channeled that way, don't we? Unless we're looking to serve. This is my church. This is my house. I own it. I'm a part of it. I don't have anything to give. I'm so depleted, but I'm glad I get to be here this morning. I don't care how boring it is. I'm going to be here because this is my community. This is where I belong. This is where I'm somebody. And you know what? I'm going to find someone to just smile at her. You know what? That person looks pretty down. Maybe I can just touch them and give them a pat on the shoulder. Maybe, look, that person just dropped something. I'm at least looking to help out here. Here you go. Or, hey, they made an announcement. They need something. I could do that. I've got that bandwidth. I'm not going to be like the email thing with 10 people and go, well, someone's going to get it, um, so I don't need to. <laughs> you know, I'm going to try and get away with this little mo- I'm going to jump at that chance. It's something I can do, so I'm going to do it. And so I remember these Biola kids complaining, and I just couldn't handle it. And I remember saying to those college kids, and it's only true for a couple of you in here, but with these Biola college kids, I said, you don't want to know what's really interesting? You have more discretionary money and more discretionary time than anyone else in the church, college students. You don't have any kids. You don't have any dependents. You know, things like, you have more discretionary money and more discretionary time than anyone else in the church. What are you going to do with that? 
It's potential. You could be quarterbacks and running backs. Jump into the game. Get on the team. We really are going to value this at Antioch for a long time now, the idea that everyone should have a ministry in the church and then a mission in the world. And so we've been working on this program to help take people and walk them through and help them find their place in ministry. So I'm going to invite, I don't know where Justin's at, but Justin's going to come up and just tell you a little bit about the place ministry that he and Courtney have been developing and give you some information on that. Test one. Hey. Well, I resent the fact that I'm not manly for being sick because <laughs> I took no antibiotics. <laughs> watched two kids for two days all by myself. So, And I also used to live about five minutes from an In-N-Out burger. And my wife would always be on her way home and say, you want me to bring you a double-double and animal style and a shake? Nah, no, I'll just make something. And now I feel guilty like I should have taken advantage of it. <clears throat> well, what if you showed up at church... And um, the sound system didn't work, and your worship leader was sick, and Ken had been rushed off to the hospital, and none of this production happened. Would there still be church? I'm asking myself the question as I ask it to you. And the, the answer is, is simple. Yeah, there should be church, but this certainly is not it. Um, this is, it can be um, dangerously, can become entertainment. You can come and just check in and you know, we exist or we should we ought to exist to serve you guys the body of christ um the church should be all of us serving in the capacity that god's gifted us to serve in that he's called us to serve in the acronym that we've come up with is a uh, place apropos uh personality likes abilities calling or callings and experiences and the cool thing is that each of you has a unique set of those you guys are gifted in ways that I'm not and vice versa. You've had experiences, good and bad, that have prepared you to serve in a very unique way. You know, I looked at my own life. I thought God wasted time. Why, why do I have a degree in classical trumpet? What a dumb degree, right? <laughs> I, wound up, I wound up in business for almost a decade, and I, and I have a classical trumpet degree. But you know what? I was, le- I was on a mission trip in Chile with my wife when we first got married. Leading worship was a terrible guitar player. Couldn't sing at all. And I'm sitting backstage, and there's 400 kids there. And in the middle of nowhere, Chile, where no one cared who I was or anything, just a white guy, cool. Um, but God spoke to me pretty clearly. He's like, you know what, Justin? Part of, the re- part of your training was for this moment right here. And it was very humbling. I thought, well, what an obscure place to use my gifts. But, you know, God had a plan for it. He's got a plan for your experiences and your gifts too. So in a nutshell, what we've come up with, we I'd like to say we invented it, but really we stole it from a bunch of different churches that you'd know the names of. But the cool thing is um, Courtney Christensen basically dissected a 200-page-plus manual, or several of them rather, and put it into like a uh, eight-page booklet for us. It's really an exciting opportunity for you guys to go through um, kind of like a, th- well, it's a class, a three-week class. There are eight of us so far that are going to be leading the classes as couples. My wife and I will lead one. And uh, basically, um, it's the first week will be learning to share your, your story, what God's done in your life, what makes you unique, what experiences in ministry do you have, good and bad, and how do you communicate those to people? And then what does the gospel say? How do you communicate the gospel to someone? That's kind of the first week. The second week will involve a little homework. I did it myself, so it's totally doable. I hate homework. 
it's it's about an hour to 20 minutes to do, and it consists of two parts. It's a personality profile, uh, which is uh, based off the DISC test. If you know what that is, you've probably done that in business or you've heard about it, um, but it categorizes you and pin, pigeonholes you, basically. And that's why I act the way I do, sweetie. It's because I'm a D personality, okay? So just love me. Um <laughs> That's part of it. The other part is a spiritual gifts assessment, which, uh, ironically, I hadn't done myself until recently. And the cool thing that's d- different about doing one or the other, this this uh, test actually blends the two and then gives you some suggestions for, you know, what might you be good at based on your personality and, and your spiritual giftings. It also shows you, uh, you know, here's some areas that you might struggle with. And I'm reading them like, yeah, that's totally me, uh, overcommitment being one of them. So um, it blends those two together, and then it allows you to see. Now, we're not going to say if you don't go through our class, you can't serve at Antioch. That's not it at all. You're welcome to just serve. The problem is if you look at the statistics, and Courtney can give you where they came from. I'm just going to rattle them off third party. So they could be true. They could be false. Okay. (laughs) Statistically, people that go through a program like this in a body wind up serving in an area they're gifting for four to five years without burnout. Versus people who just say, oh, you know what? Antioch needs kids, helping kids. I hate kids, but I'm going to do it because I need it. Not hate, but maybe that's not your gifting. Um, So what happens there is people serve for four, five, six months, and they're just done. It tires them out. It wears them out. They don't look forward to it. Versus someone who says, you know what? My experiences, my spiritual giftings, this is what I'm supposed to do. What we did is we compiled a list of, gosh, probably 150, 200 positions in Antioch um, that we have needs to be filled in. So the cool thing is you go through this assessment and you go, you know what, here's what I'm good at, here's my experiences, and I can automatically cross off about seven-eighths of, of Antioch stuff and pinpoint, you know what, I love people, I love this, I love that, this is what I should be doing. We're not going to try to micromanage you. It's, up to, it's really for you. It's an opportunity to see if you haven't done that before. Um, we'd like for everybody to go through it, but you don't have to. So, again, it's a three-week thing, and we'll have sign-ups. Um, we're going to announce it again when Courtney's here, and we'll have sign-ups sometime in late May. And the first class, hopefully, will start June 2nd. Okay? Thanks. <laughs> so the idea is we're going to try and get this ministry and put a lot of energy into it to help equip and to send and to empower you and to make it clear for you how to find your place in ministry. Does anyone here want less than 100% involvement from the pieces of your body? I mean, you know, it's like, wow, if my body, as long as it's clicking at like 90%, I'll drop a liver, maybe drop a lung, you know. It doesn't really need to be at 100%. That's asking a little much of my body. (laughs) That should be our goal for the church. Our goal should be that there be like 100% involvement I heard something from Francis Chan, the guy we went down and had lunch with, and I love what he said. He said, you know, um, think of yourself, whoever you are, just say so, you know, what would this church look like if everybody was operating or serving at my level? Like if everybody was giving, tithing, serving, time, energy, heart, passion, ownership, if, if whatever makes up you and your involvement in the body, like if everyone was there, what would that look like? You know, I'm sure it's different depending on who we're talking about. And, and there's those of you that are just getting here and it's like, man, I'm on my way. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not putting pressure on you at all. 
I'm just trying to show what God's plan is, is that as we would all join into the body of Christ, the church, that we would begin to, even if you're new, find our place. And that we're going to be fulfilled through that because we should have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. And when we're on our own, we're a little bit detached and lost and orphaned. And God doesn't want spiritual orphans. He wants us all to be pulled into this family. I was mentioned a little bit ago that I would talk to Biola students and say, can't you at least hand out a, a bulletin? And it doesn't mean like, sorry, usher guys. You know, like I'm not trying to say that handing out a bulletin's like easy. I know it's hard. You guys work hard. Anyways, um, sorry. But I think sometimes we do that in church. We, we say, we, we reduce it all down to just this one type of job. And if God made you an engineer... Um, jump in and help us figure out communication strategies. How do we do a better job of communicating and pulling it together? If if God made you a city planner, jump into Antioch and help us with development and structure and infrastructure. If God made you a grant writer, guess what? We have things we need grants written for. We need help with fundraising for the college and for this World Relief thing. We need you. If God made you a graphic artist, you are blessed amongst all people. And... (laughs) And, and you are my favorite. Um, so come find me because I absolutely always have need for graphic artists because I love them. If God made you a florist, guess what? You probably donated the flowers this morning for Mother's Day. I love that. We have some florists in the church that said, hey, here's my chance. It's Mother's Day. We want to give back to the body. If God made you an entrepreneur, start something. <laughs> It's what you do. You know, think of something really cool and unique and progressive that doesn't exist anywhere in any churches and then get together with the leaders and say, I got a great idea and then start something. I love what Francis Schaeffer said. He said, the Christian is the one whose imagination should fly beyond the stars. The Christian is the one whose imagination should fly beyond the stars. And I think sometimes those of you who have been blessed and gifted with leadership ability, I mean, you're just high-influence, high-capability people. You never hear this kind of talk. Because, you, I mean, you really, it's, I do this. We begin to think that everything that a church would offer is below our pay grade, below our aptitude. And I remember hearing a great talk by Andy Stanley. And Andy Stanley gave this whole talk and he said, what do you do when you find that you're the most powerful person in the room? And it sounds a little arrogant, right? But he starts into this talk and he says, there's going to be times when you walk into a room and you're the most powerful person. You have the most influence or the most ability of anyone in the room. And people are looking to you. What do you do with that? And he went to John chapter 13 and he went to the passage where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And he says, when you find that you're the most powerful person in the room, what you do with that power is you serve others. Jesus went at his disciples and he says, man, you're getting caught up into the the way that the the Pharisees do this and and the, the Gentiles. And they look at influence and power as a way of getting up above people so that you can control and make it all about yourself again. He says, don't do that. It's an upside down kingdom. When you have power, when you have authority, when you're the most powerful person in the room, serve others. Don't use it for your own gain. And so those of you that are high capacity and you're leading or you're CEOs in big businesses, you are needed here. If we're going to accomplish things that are going to actually change the world, 
It's going to be people like you at the helm managing and speaking into those things. There's no other way to do things that significant unless those of you that have been gifted with those kinds of personality traits get involved on some of these things that we're doing. The Christian is the one whose imagination should fly beyond the stars. I love what Francis Schaeffer says. So here's the objection that I think will come up. If I say everyone should have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world, the objection would be, it's going to be too much. It's going to be too much. Um, and if, and if, I think maybe you didn't hear me, if that's the objection. Um, it's not, I have a full life, and if I add one thing, it's, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. I'm not saying add one thing, I'm saying knock it all down and start over. And as a foundation, you realize that you are born again into a kingdom where you are supposed to have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world to bring glory to God. And that that's just, you build it in as a foundation and then you add other stuff on. And if it gets to be too much, then you stop adding other stuff on. And so Jesus' disciples, they left their families and their wives and their jobs and they're walking around and they're like, dude, Jesus, we left everything. And so Jesus gets one guy that comes to him and says, hey, I'd like to follow you. And he says, let me first go bury my father. And there's two ways that you can take that. And commentators kind of argue. And one of them is, you know, he just needs to go take care of some of his affairs. And Jesus is saying, no, this is more important. It's not the thing that you add on when you have time left over. It's the thing that you get to first. And the other, the other commentators would say, the guy was really saying, because of the verb tenses and all that, that, hey, let me go until my father dies. I get my inheritance, and then I'll come follow you. And that's like saying, man, once my 401K is where I need it to be, then I'll turn around and, and have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. I've I got to get to a certain point, and then I'll come back and do what I was made to do. And Jesus is saying, no, this is foundational. And then you add on. This is what you were created for. And if we say, oh, it's too much, I don't think we really understand it. And that flows into the second thing. The chief cornerstone, the head of the church, the head of the body, there's something here that we're trusting. And that, that, is, that, that, that this is Jesus' church and that this is his plan. And that he is smart and has a good plan. And so when we say, oh, I can't get involved, it's just going to be too much, what it shows is a lack of faith. That the plan that God has, that Jesus has imparted to us, that this isn't a good plan, or I can't trust it, or I can't trust him, or I can't trust the leaders of the church. Well, if you can't trust the leaders of the church, then go to, go to somewhere where you can, okay? We have amazing leaders at this church, and I would have never guessed that we would have had the caliber of elders that we do. But they are looking at it and saying, our job is to take care of the people and to empower them so that they can find their place that fits them in ministry, so that they can be all that they can be and have joy in serving. That's their calling. And so there's a trust thing that bangs around everywhere. And we have to trust. Lastly, if you say, I can't get involved, it's just going to be too much. Here's what I'd say to that. The person that goes to the head coach and says, you know what, I don't want to get on the field. It's going to be too tiring for me. Doesn't get listened to as much as the guy that's been on the field for a couple plays and waves his hand at the coach and says, I need a breather. 
If, you're, if anyone is coming and saying, you know what, I'm about to burn out, I need a breather, I think everyone will listen to that. We understand that. It comes in seasons. God built in the whole Sabbath principle, right? But if we say, I'm not even going to try just because it might lead to a state of affairs that would be too much, that's just another way of avoiding and defending. We've got to get our minds around this. It's, the church is not out to get you. You were designed for the church. We don't have to put up walls and we don't have to avoid and evade and defend. Lastly, um, I've realized that I'm weak. I've realized that I'm weak. And this is a hard thing for me because I would want to pride myself on being strong. But I realized that in the life of Antioch, I have avoided putting any kind of pressure on people to serve because I would rather do it myself or find people I know really well and ask them to do it than to put any pressure on someone because I don't ever want to be that guy putting pressure. And I'm weak because um, I just won't go there. And I'm not going to do that anymore. What I realized this week just in studying and, and prepping was that I, my own integrity, my own conscience will not allow me to do that anymore from from here on out, I have to call people to 100% involvement in their body. Not because it's self-serving, but because I'm wrong if I don't. My job is to be a pastor, which means to equip people to do the work of building up the body of Christ. If I hold back because I want to be popular, because I want to please people, or I want to make this a feel-good church, then I'm wrong. I'm not being noble. I used to like to tell people, I've got broad shoulders. I can handle a lot of work. And it was all about pride. If I hold back from asking you or helping you do what God wants you to do, I'm only injuring you and I'm only failing to do what I'm called to do. Um, Well, I'm failing at it. And so I'm not going to do it anymore. That's my commitment. I had to realize that. And I think here's the deal. If we can get ownership, then I don't have to put any pressure on anybody. If everybody owns this church and owns their calling, it's something we desire. It's not like high school. It's like the team that you want to be picked for. If we want to go at it hard, it's like the NBA finals and, and you're in the key and someone's shooting free throws and you need that rebound. It doesn't matter if somebody boxes you out. You're going for it, right? 100% 100% you're going to climb over bodies. And if you're like, hey, I'll help out in Antioch, but nobody ever called me back, so I never got involved. You didn't really own it. You, you don't, I mean, you got to go for the rebound. I need that. I don't want to be on the floor left alone. I want to be involved in what's going on, what God's doing in the church. I'm going to climb over people. If nobody calls me back, I'll show up at their front door. You know, I mean, I'll find them. We got to own it. And I think, to own it, we have to stop beating up on the church. And I'm a, I'm a proponent. I mean, I do this, not a proponent of it. Like, I'm an example of it. We beat up on the church and we give it black eyes and we begin to not realize that what we're doing is we're tarnishing the, the bride of Christ, the thing that's supposed to be desirable. And when I got married, there was a wise old man. And he said to me, he said, Ken, your wife will never look as beautiful as she does today. And he meant it as a compliment. And he's like... She has honor and status and, and she, the pride of place and the day revolves around her and all her people are here and she's adorned and all these other things and this is an amazing thing. Soak it up. 
side note, like I, I was at a wedding this summer and I tried to like pass it on and act like it was my own. And I was just like, your wife will never be as pretty as she is today. And, and, and it came out wrong and everyone thought like I was saying, yeah, she's just going to go downhill, you know. <laughs> and Kip, I promise, Kristen is going to stay, you know. At, I got it wrong. I mean, I was just copying, you know. We try to copy our mentors. But the, the idea is that in Revelation, it talks about we are making the bride ready. We as Christians are, are building up the bride of Christ so that she's ready and glorious and magnificent when the bridegroom, who is Christ, comes back to claim her. It's our delight and our opportunity to build up the bride of Christ so that when God sends Jesus back and he finds us, it's a beautiful thing. And I'll just wrap up by saying this. It's not, church is not a spiritual duty or an obligation. It's a spiritual privilege and an opportunity. It's not a spiritual duty and an obligation. Rather, it's a spiritual privilege and opportunity. And Peter goes on and says, you're chosen priesthood, uh, you're chosen people and a royal priesthood. You know, I'm not the only religious person here. You are all priests The Reformation called this the priesthood of believers. We all get to share in this work. We're all a cell in the body that gets to follow along and not be cancerous. We all get to be on a canoe and help row. We all get to play on a team that's going to do amazing things. We're the priesthood of believers where we all have ownership and it's a wonderful thing and we should hunger after it and fight for it and desire it that there'd be 100% commitment in this church and that when we look at it, we're like, man, this is a glorious thing. God is smiling when he sees this. It's being built up and it's going to sing the praises. It's the truth. And it's going to sing the praises to bend and beyond of what God's plan is and that it was right. Let's pray. Father, we just commit to you, this church. Just stir in us a desire to, to not be mediocre in our lives, to have spiritual importance in our lives, to have a ministry, to have a mission, to to be useful, to do things that only we can do that are going to make a difference and they're going to impact people's lives. And, and we really need to understand and we want to understand and we want to commit it back to you that all these things are not just for ourselves or to build our own reputations, but we exist to bring you glory to proclaim something about you that's true. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.